You're listening to the Nixon Now Podcast. I'm Jonathan Mavroidis. This is brought to you by the Nixon Foundation. We're broadcasting from the Richard Nixon Presidential Library in Yorba Linda, California. You can follow us on Twitter at Nixon Foundation or at nixonfoundation.org. What was First Lady Pat Nixon's relationship with media during the presidency? Here to answer these and other questions is Linda Hopgood. Dr. Hopgood is director of the Speech Center at the University of Richmond and instructor in their Department of Rhetoric and Communication Studies. Dr. Hopgood is a contributing author to an upcoming book edited by Lisa Burns, professor of media studies at Quinnipiac University, called Media Relations and the Modern First Ladies from Jacqueline Kennedy to Melania Trump. Dr. Hopgood, welcome. Thank you so much for, for um, having me. First question, uh, what brought you into this field of study? Actually, it, it dates back to the summer of 1973 when I was a White House intern and was invited back in 1974. What, so you were a White House intern working in the, which, which part of the White House? Were you working in, working in the West Wing or were you working in the First Lady's office? One year I was in, on one side and one year the other. <laughs> the first year, 1973, I was in an office under the um, responsibility of William J. Baruti, Jr., and I was in the Presidential Proclamations Office in what used to be called the Old Executive Office Building on the first floor. It was very close to the President's working office. We were just a few doors down. And I, as the summer progressed, I was doing work um, under the uh, leadership of Bryce Harlow and Melvin Laird in domestic relations, domestic policy. How did you come to focus on Mrs. Nixon as a field of study? As a field of study, I, I suppose it has a good deal to do with my graduate field in college, which was rhetoric, and I became interested in presidential rhetoric. But because of the relationship with Mrs. Nixon, which I had during my second year at, uh, at the White House, I, I focused on her especially in, in, many re- in many regards because I thought she had a good deal to, to impart about the way first ladies conduct themselves and carry out what responsibilities they assume as first lady. Uh, rhetorically, I thought she was an exemplar. And her conduct as First Lady, I think, remains a model that is too easily overlooked. But the combination of working with her and also um, studying studying presidential rhetoric and the rhetoric of of all who serve at the the request or the pleasure of the President of the United States, which includes by marriage the President's spouse, she became a fascinating topic of of study for me. Could you tell us a little about that? You were, you're saying that you, you became a student of presidential rhetoric. Um, how does the first lady and her rhetoric um, fit overall into the presidential goals of uh, using uh, his or her rhetoric? It's vital in many ways. Um, the first lady can be an extension of the president's policies and goals throughout an administration. And in Mrs. Nixon's case, uh, she, was, she served as a first lady during a, a very pivotal time in the women's movement, great deal of cultural transition 
was occurring during the late 60s and early 70s. And Mrs. Nixon navigated some fairly choppy waters with dignity and a, a calm serenity that I, th- I think is, it, re- it remains an example for all. What kind of, uh, you, you mentioned some of those issues. Um, how was Mrs. Nixon deployed, um, or did she deploy herself to, uh, you know, uh, communicate for the um, administration, the White House? Um, it, it, how, how did she communicate this, and, and how did she face these challenges to the country, and how did she uh, communicate uh, the president's message and her own message? Well, first of all, by fully supporting his agenda and his convictions in regards to the presidency and what might be accomplished, what might the potential um, that that existed for uh, increased international understanding and reduction of hostilities, an end to the Vietnam War, uh, but an end with dignity. And Mrs. Nixon loved to travel. She fully supported her husband's aims, and if you combine the two, she served as a, an in a both an official and unofficial capacity as ambassador for the Nixon administration throughout. Could you tell us a little bit about the research and the people you interviewed uh, for this for this chapter in, the, in, in this upcoming book? Most of the interviews actually took place in the 70s. All three of Mrs. Nixon's press secretaries are deceased, and I was fortunate enough to know one of the three very, very well. Those I interviewed, members of Mrs. Nixon's staff, had known her first two press secretaries also, and so their insights became very valuable. But some of the staff members closest to Mrs. Nixon I worked with and had the honor of of knowing the ways they themselves reflected Mrs. Nixon's um, purposes and intentions, her conduct, uh, her rules for letters <laughs> and correspondence with uh, constituents of of every uh, of every um, background and economic strata, uh, foreign, domestic. It was it was very exciting, quite frankly, to be a part of that operation, even for a short time. I came to know uh, Susan Porter, who is now Susan Porter Rose, uh, Gwen King. Susan Lalathan Dollaboy, Lucy Winchester, and um, Helen Smith, obviously, and her staff, which included Patty Matson, and it was it was just a very exciting group of women to work with. They had very high standards, and that was a wonderful thing to gain in the process of working at the White House. Let's talk about the the standards a little bit. Could you? Tell us a little bit about Mrs. Nixon's rules for letters and the overall standards of, of the uh, media, media operations of the, of the First Lady's office. With regard to correspondence, Mrs. Nixon had a high standard of brief turnaround. Um, even if she couldn't respond concretely to an invitation, for example, it was our responsibility to let the sender of any invitation know that it had been received and that they would be hearing from us shortly as to whether the president and Mrs. Nixon or Mrs. Nixon or her daughters, depending on who the the letter was uh, directed to, would be able to come for sure. Uh, We were were never supposed to let a letter linger. And Mrs. Nixon had 
she had impeccable standards with regard to these letters. She had been in the homes of people who had received correspondence from the White House across the years, and she knew that some people kept them in frames on their walls or tables. They treasured an official letter from the chief executive or his family. And Mrs. Nixon um, wanted to make sure that there were no, there were obviously no typos. <laughs> and this is back in the day when we were using typewriters, not computers. So there could be no mistakes on the letter that was, was sent. Uh, envelopes were not supposed to have the indentation of a paper clip. And so we actually used small sheets of tissue to uh, bear the weight of a paper clip attached attaching the envelope and the letter. And that sounds, it sounds uh, maybe trivial in our time, but it was very important to the overall presentation and arrival of that letter. And Mrs. Nixon treated constituents, of, uh, again, um, every, every constituent was, was treated with the highest respect and dignity, even down to the answering of a letter. She signed all her letters, too. Could you tell us a little bit about Helen McCain-Smith? Uh, what was her background? Who, who was she and why was she so pivotal to the First Lady's um, uh, press operations? There were two qualities about Helen McCain-Smith. One, she had been part of Mrs. Nixon's staff almost from the beginning. So she had an opportunity to see under two previous press secretaries what Mrs. Nixon's preferences were. And she was able to, to see how recalibrating in certain circumstances was good for Mrs. Nixon and for the press. And that's the second uh, consideration. Helen McCain-Smith had been part of a news operation. And so she knew the press. She knew members of the Fourth Estate. She liked them. They liked her. And they respected her. And that, that combination furthered Mrs. Nixon's aim to, for... Um, treating every member of the press, reporters, correspondents, uh, as, as first people and then as reporters. And she did so. And, and Helen underscored that. How about Connie Stewart? Connie Stewart was uh, proposed by her husband as um, the second the candidate for, for second press secretary for Mrs. Nixon. Uh, I never knew Connie personally, but I am told that she was vivacious and, and, and good-natured. At the same time, she had high standards for the, the uh, First Lady's press office, and she was not afraid of telling the West Wing, this is the way we're going to operate over on Mrs. Nixon's East Wing side, and you know, we hope you will respect this. It, when it came to travel and arrangements and making sure Mrs. Nixon had lead time if she was going to be traveling with the president, that was important. Uh, you know, I think in many ways the West Wing wasn't quite as prepared for Mrs. Nixon to be as fully involved, especially on trips as she, as she wanted to be and as President Nixon wanted her to be. And so that was one of we're, one of the things where Connie took the initiative and made sure that Mrs. Nixon was well-treated by the president's staff to the extent possible. How about Patty Matson? 
Patty was the deputy press secretary under Helen Smith, and she would be, in in my mind, probably the closest uh, person to to having the expertise uh, now that these women are deceased as anyone. Patty knew Helen Smith. She came to know Mrs. Nixon, and and she really held to the same high standards for um, reporting responsibly to the press as soon as possible and understanding the cycles of that the press uh, members needed in terms of writing their stories or delivering them on mass media. Um, I think Patty, too, had this, she, she held to that same standard of treating the press as individuals, human beings with needs of their own. Mrs. Nixon wanted that done, and, and Helen and Patty both uh, uh, respected that and carried out Mrs. Nixon's wishes. How about Jerry Vanderhoevel? Jerry Van, Van Heuvel, I did not know her well um, in terms of what I heard once I arrived at the, in the East Wing. And she also did not, she, her, she had the shortest term of the um, three press secretaries in terms of, of being the actual press secretary. Helen was press secretary or deputy press secretary for a longer time. And uh, Connie Stewart, obviously, was right was in the second um was second in the sequence but jerry vanderhuvel was highly respected among the press in washington she was head of the national women's press organization and i think i think uh truth be told she was she was probably um oh i i think the best thing to, to say is in a transition mode herself as she moved from press to communicating the first lady to the press. And there, there were a great many things that, that may have come as a surprise to her because she did not know the Nixons well. Uh, she, I think, did a, an admirable draw, job of trying to serve Mrs. Nixon. But it was, again, a time of change and all three press secretaries were caught up in that in that time of change, but I think Jerry may have been um, more so than the other two. You write that Mrs. Nixon was often overlooked during the first year of the presidency. She was made of sterner stuff than some of the other first ladies, but not the stuff of hard or breaking news. Uh, what, what do you mean by that? <laughs> Mrs. Nixon was not. Uh, uh, a person of contrivance. Uh, she did not covet celebrity. Uh, she was a, of a calm demeanor and disposition, and she was she was as other centered as any human being I've ever known. And just watching her, observing, uh, serving from a position in the background and getting a chance to see her interact with everyone from older senior citizens to youngsters, she was as gentle and kind and eager to to help as anyone I have ever seen. Uh, you and I are, are both fully aware that news depends on, on the unusual and hard news especially, and um, receptions that end happily, days that end happily ever after, are not the stuff of hard news. But Mrs. Nixon's mission 
if you will, was to make as many people feel at home in the White House, uh, at ease, at receptions, whenever she encountered someone. I think one of my most lasting impressions and, and one of the most endearing is how, how you would shake or she would shake your hand with both of hers. She would hold your hand in between her own. And she, she's not the only person to have done that, but I've never seen anyone do it and establish eye contact to such a degree that you felt as though you were the only person in the room and the only one that mattered to Mrs. Nixon right at that moment. And she, she did it so, so easily and so readily even when there were thousands of people in the room and hundreds waiting in a reception line, she gave you every minute that you you deserved. And she truly sought to, to make you comfortable uh, and appreciated. And that was, it, it was just, that's not the stuff of hard news. <laughs> right. She, but she, you know, she was involved in, you know, her cause was people. She said that people were her project. Um, she went on the foreign trips, um, including the trip to China, which was highly visual. Um, she was involved in the, the, the legacy of parks program and, um, uh, restoring the white house. Um, did any of these, some of these might've not been considered hard news, but were they, how were they eventually conveyed, uh, by the press? Well, for instance, she sought to, uh, continue Mrs. Kennedy's commitment to restoring antiquities uh, and in the White House and helped um, with, with the help of, uh, gosh, I think it was Rex Scouten and um, the, the uh, oh goodness, I'm, the name is escaping me at the moment, but she, she worked with two individuals very closely on restoring American Americana in terms of furniture and decor to the White House, and that the program had begun with Mrs. Kennedy. The fact that Mrs. Nixon continued it and really extended it during her time was it, it, it's a grateful nation appreciates that kind of thing that she saw it through, but it wasn't a brand new program. As far as people are my project, that was not limited, and Mrs. Nixon intentionally kept it uh, as, as open-ended as possible. When campus groups were disgruntled and she went to, to hear them um, and be a, a presence of the administration for those that, that needed a listening ear, she was there. When it was senior citizens or when it was children, she was, she was there. Victims of an earthquake uh, in South America, she was, she was a presence. And that she sought that. But if you defined it more narrowly, it might have held some appeal as a more specific project, but it wouldn't have been what Mrs. Nixon sought to accomplish for the administration. What were, what were public perceptions based on her initiatives and based through the press lens? How, what, were the, what were the American people's impressions of Mrs. Nixon? Too many are based on, on false impressions uh, given in in light of, I think, um, the Watergate controversy and uh, retrospectives that are framed in terms of Watergate, Mrs. Nixon was um, as as uh, ready with a laugh and also as as savvy and sensitive on an international 
scale as any first lady I can imagine. She she studied um, assiduously before she would travel to foreign countries, and she was quite insistent, for instance, that when she visited the combat zone in Vietnam, uh, she wanted to go to the, the bedsides of the wounded in Vietnam at, uh, at Long Bin, and she did not savor the idea of a press presence, even though that would have probably brought her some some very important and, and perhaps favorable press coverage, but she wanted to go to the soldiers themselves. She wasn't about having it be uh, appearing on, on television just for television's sake. She wanted to get messages from the soldiers and for those who wanted her to contact their loved ones back home. Uh, she even she even would crouch by the bedsides just to get names of people that they wanted her to contact. And she did so. Uh, and she didn't want anything to get in the way of that. She was, um, she was not about the photo opportunity. <laughs> Our topic today is First Lady Pat Nixon and her relationship with the American press. Our guest is Linda Hopgood. She's a contributing author to an upcoming book edited by Lisa Burns, professor of media relations at Quinnipiac University. The book is called Media Relations and the Modern First Ladies from Jacqueline Kennedy to Melania Trump. Dr. Hopgood, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks so much. Please check back for future podcasts at nixonfoundation.org or on your favorite podcast app. This is Jonathan Mavroidis and your Belinda. <laughs>